you know, can someone like me be a psychologist? <laughs> and um, yeah, can someone who's, who's had those struggles um, do that job? I can't think of any more human activity than conducting science experiments. The game I play is a very interesting one. It's imagination in a tight straitjacket. The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it, but the way those atoms are put together. What I always think should be the basis of education is not answers, but questions. We should teach kids how to question. Welcome to Blabcrits. My name is Amit Siddiqui. In this episode, I spoke to Brooke, who's a psychologist in the field of education. Uh, and in this episode, we talked about her journey into psychology, uh, some of the reasons why mental health disorders are stigmatized. Um, then we looked at the gender disparity that exists in STEM versus Haas. So uh, why are there so many more dudes in uh, the hard sciences like chemistry, biology and physics? compared to uh, the humanities, like um, the social sciences and the psychology field. So why is that? Is that, is that, is that genetic? Is that culturally influenced? Um, and so we talk about the influence of and the, the role of those two variables. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation. I, I learned a couple of things from, from, from Brooke that I didn't know previously. Uh, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it because I certainly did. And also, guys, 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 you gotta like our Facebook page and give us a rating. Like that's like priority number one because we've had it for the iTunes and that's great. We love it. But uh, give us a hand over here because it does help spread the podcast if you rate and review. And also, we're starting a blog called Blog Coats. Uh, who came up with that name? Yours and truly, yours truly, right here. <laughs> Jokes. No, that's not actually a joke. That's for real. Anyway. Enjoy this podcast. Bye. Okay. So, yeah, essentially what we wanted to do, um, I thought I have to do something with this. Yeah. Because it's, it's so cool. And uh, I remember being in my undergrad and just being so lost. Yeah. You know, wanting to do research. Yeah. But not knowing what to expect. Yeah. Um, not knowing how to find a supervisor. Mm-hmm. And if I find a supervisor, if they're going to be good and compatible yeah. with me, it was very stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I... I guess uh, talking to Alex, I'm like, man, we need to address that. I think this is how we're going to like make this podcast work. Yeah. If if we create a resource for people, something that they can get something out of, then it, it will, pe- people should listen to it. Yeah. And so one thing led to another. And next thing you know, we're, we're like five, that's really cool. five episodes <laughs> in. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause yeah. I always think that like, um, I don't know. One of the things that I found a struggle about academia is that, um, I often felt like it was just in this little isolated world and everyone's doing their really cool research and everything, but it doesn't often, I kind of felt like a lot of it doesn't get translated further and it just kind of stays within a group, small group of people who know about something, Mm. but the practical benefits of it is lost because it doesn't get translated. That's right. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to about this kind of stuff have said, oh, well, you know, it's not our responsibility as scientists or researchers to do that. That's that's not our responsibility. But I don't know. I kind of disagree. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel exactly the same as you. Yeah. I mean, there is some great research being done, but because it's academia, mm. it, it just gets lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we had um, Sandy, which was our first episode. Yeah. He talked a bit about that, how like you have, you know, really great findings, but there's only like 50 people in the world that know the, yeah. the utility of it. Yeah. And beyond that, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah, I totally agree because I just, yeah, I, I, I think that's something that science across all disciplines really needs to work on yeah. is communicating and not only to the wider population but also to students too, mm. I think, as well. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. the wider population would be good. Hopefully, you'll get rid of uh, some of the skepticism of science <laughs> and scientists. Yeah. Like people will hopefully stop. One day, I'm hopeful. This is my yeah. goal. By the time I die... I, I, I hope that people won't believe that the earth is flat anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not too ambitious. That would be but... nice. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, but the only way to do that, I think, is through yeah. this sort of stuff where you're communicating science, getting people to see what's behind the curtain. Yeah. You know? Um, totally. And your point about research students, um, it, you know, facilitating that collaboration within the research community, I think, is what will speed up um, mm. like findings and, and because collaborations what usually lead to like you know Definitely. great discoveries so if we're all isolated yeah then good luck with that yeah it's like I it's agree. like the internet yeah. like, no nah, man i don't need the internet i just need one computer yeah 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 i, yeah, I totally agree so. yeah <laughs> um so what's your what i what is your um area of study because i think brooke uh, sorry not brooke um <laughs> Brittany. Yeah. Both of us starting with B, so. Yeah, no, it's confusing. We kind of look the same too, so. <laughs> so what is your area of study? Um, so I'm, I did my undergrad in psychology at Western Sydney Uni, and um, I now nearly finished my PhD looking at gender differences in uh, self-beliefs and values towards um, STEM, so science mathematics technology and engineering mm -hmm. um so okay so you're looking at gender differences uh essentially um you know there, there are significantly more men as as far as i know in stem fields like chemistry and biochemistry in yeah. fact if you go to the postgrad room i think there's like three girls yeah. like three women <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the rest yeah, are just yeah. like all guys you know yeah so um so that's that's essentially what you're looking at yeah so kind of i guess exploring um some of the reasons why that might be the case why it is that so many girls don't feel that that's an option for them and they don't go into that as a career choice ah, yeah. okay so that's interesting we'll come back to your research towards yeah. the end because um I, I looked at your linkedin and uh, i hope this doesn't come across too stalkery <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally stalk everyone on the internet. So. <laughs> Look, that's what yeah. it's there for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there was, there, you, it said something there with Institute of Positive Psychology. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, so that's the institute that I'm doing my PhD in at the moment. Um, and it's really cool. It's like a multidisciplinary institute of researchers. Um, so people from education, people from psychology, um, people from exercise and sports science. And it's a whole bunch of research, research uh, researchers kind of collaborating together, I guess, um, within that broad range of field of um, psychology and education. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so That's, it's a really cool environment. Yeah, so it's a more collaborative environment. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Like as a student, I've been able to kind of work on multiple research projects outside of my PhD with other students on their PhDs too. Oh. So yeah, it's kind of cool because I got to be involved in things about like physical activity um, and stuff like that too. So So how will the psychologist contribute to physical activity? Um, so in the particular study I was looking at, we were looking at... Um, a meta-analysis of uh, physical activity and the impact on school engagement. So, like, um, the degree to which students are kind of engaged in class, like, cognitively Mm -hmm. um, and also emotionally. Um, And, yeah, so I guess in those kind of projects, it's really helpful to kind of marry both disciplines together and have the kind of exercise sports science aspect looking... Um, at physical activity benefits, but then also looking, um, yeah, getting the psychologist involved. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. That's really nice. Um, okay. Let's go back to the beginning of your journey. Yeah. I've spoken to a few psychologists and um, a lot of them have been inspired by TV shows. Is uh. that the case for you? Like Brittany, Sherlock Holmes, um, my other friend, she was also inspired by Sherlock Holmes. Really? Yeah. That's um, cool. Or CSI or yep. Bones. So I'm curious, what was your inspiration? What what put you into science? Into science in general, psychology yeah. specifically, either, either or whatever. Either one, yeah. Um, well, did you have a did you have an interest in psychology when you were younger? I think I was always kind of fascinated by how people work and and what makes people tick. I think I was. I don't think I had a label for it like psychology, but I was always kind of fascinated by that kind of stuff in general. Um, but it wasn't probably until my in year, year 12 that I started to seriously think about doing psychology. So you're interested in how people think? Yep. Um, bef- did you associate that with science? No. Like, so this sounds really bad, but in high school, I totally hated science and it was my least favorite subject alongside maths. And I hated every minute of it. I didn't engage at all in class. I just like talked and passed notes and I was really naughty. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I hated science. I couldn't wait to not do science again when I was in high school, which is not great, but yeah. So you had no idea that psychology was was a branch of science? Well, I don't think I'd ever really been exposed to psychology. I don't think I really knew that much about what it was at that point in my life. Um, I I think psychology, even in the last 10 years, has kind of become more um, well-known in popular culture. But uh, when, when I was in high school, I kind of had heard of it a bit, but I hadn't really super, like, had it mentioned around me or anything so i don't think i really gave much thought to it mm. yeah so what further developed your interest in psychology you said you mentioned year 11 year 12 that's when you started yeah considering it yeah so i think for me it was quite personal um I, at that point in my life i was having a really tough time um with depression and yeah i think that experience and kind of what happened to me during that period of time um, really made me feel like, wow, like I I think I'm really interested in this and I want to know, understand why that happened to me and why it happens to other people. Mm. Um, And I think I, at that point in my life, hadn't really had a great um, 
exposure, I guess, to with the mental health kind of community. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't so positive at that point in my life. Um, and so I kind of felt like, wow, I think this sounds really arrogant, but I was like, I feel like I could do a better job. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, wow. So it's it's having those um, mental health issues or, or depression early yeah. on at, at, at at that formative years that that inspired you to try to understand why that was happening and if you could help others who are going through that as well yeah totally because um again I think I don't know at that point in in time I feel like people weren't really talking about it as much as they do maybe now I Mm. think there's still a lot of room to go but I felt quite yeah quite isolated in that point in time and so I started seeking out information about psychology i guess and started to become really fascinated Hmm. by it in general was was there a stigmatization of people who had like mental health i know that exists to a certain degree so if you break your arm people like oh go see a doctor right they can physically see there's something wrong with you but as soon as it it comes to the brain people have this prejudice where rather than trying to understand they go to judge yeah yeah totally um i think i felt that really acutely um when I was in high school, you know, like at times where I've had a, a physical health problem before, everyone's kind of like, oh, you know, we'll help you. What's wrong? We'll come and support you. Um, and yeah, when it's a mental health kind of thing, things are different. And um, yeah, it's a lot harder, I think, to kind of get that support from people around you, whether it be because of stigma and prejudice. And also, I think, um, because we don't talk about it openly, I think a lot of people don't just don't know what to say, and they're, mm. they're worried they're going to say the wrong thing. Or, right. Yeah. Do you think it's? What do you think has? You know, why do you think there is this stigma about mental health? Is is it because we just can't see it? Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the reasons. I think because we can't see it physically in front of us, what it looks like. I think often people then kind of perceive it as being less legitimate. Right, right. I don't know. I think that's perhaps one of the reasons. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. And I think it's hard to understand because you can't see it too. So, like, I think, as you said, if you've got a broken arm or something, everyone can say, oh, God, that sucks. You broke your bone. That must have hurt. But I think until you've or someone you know or love someone in your family has had a a mental health kind of experience I think it's harder in some ways to understand it and Mm. to to see where that person's coming from Mm. yeah Yeah, I I totally see that we had a um our guest from episode four Daniel Hotchstrasser I can't even pronounce his name properly but it's (laughs) always difficult but he he was inspired to take um psychology because uh, around that formative years so 15 16 his father started to develop Mm. bipolar yeah, which is a you know something a mental health issue as well. But he was put on this path. In, in you know he similar to your story, he yeah. hated science. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> it's so interesting. He was That's funny. He was into drama. Yeah, into music, uh, in acting, um, in literature. But yeah. he absolutely hated science. It was only when he started seeing the application of it, when he realized that I could use science to answer questions that I had in my own mind, that he started to value it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Was that a similar thing for you? Yeah, definitely. I think the way science was taught in my high school, and I don't, I don't know about other high schools, but it, it wasn't 
it, we didn't talk about how science can be applied to different problems in real life and how much it helps people. And um, yeah, so my memories of science in high school was kind of like, go and memorize this periodic table that's really, really boring. And we're not going to tell you why that's important or, you know. How, it, just, can, yeah, how yeah. it could be used. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just like open up the textbook and answer the questions in the textbook. And I kind of was like, well, I don't care about like a memorizing a random element in, in chemistry. Like, how's that going to help me? And I think that's one of the failings I think of current science education I think if we can kind of show people um how how helpful it is and um how you can apply it and how you can use it and how it's been used to solve so many really important problems I think a lot of more people are not going to kind of drift away Mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah I I totally agree with you was there a specific uh, a memory that you can recall where you had like this realization of of how science could be utilized or the utility of it or when when your attitude started to change so you mentioned it was during the the, your 15 16 um when you when you're going through depression was it that moment that you realized maybe psychology is interesting for me uh and i see the utility of it or was it later on in your part in your journey i think at that point it kind of was the first point where I seriously started considering like, hey, this is actually interesting and I'm really interested in understanding this further. Um, But I don't think it was until university when I started, you know, going to lectures and tutorials and things like that and um, really kind of delving into it that I was like, wow, like this is really awesome and this is really incredible what people have done. And I think at that point, I really started to gain a further appreciation for science. And I guess in psychology, you start learning about the, as part of it anyway, the biological components of the brain and things like that. And um, yeah, I think it wasn't until university for me that I really started to gain a appreciation for how science, I don't know, is is so helpful Mm. in the community and yeah right okay so talking about your university experience um did you when you went to uni did you have this idea that you wanted to become a researcher uh no not at all like I I think when I first started I was I I wanted to become a practicing psychologist um but also I had a lot of self-doubts as well um in terms of uh am I able, am I going to be able to do this course and will I even pass? Um, because in high school, like I hadn't, hadn't always done like super amazing either. So, um, yeah, no part of me thought that I would be doing a PhD. (laughs) It's like, it was a complete surprise. Yeah. So, so how did you decide or what were the events that led you to uh, into research? Um, so I guess as part of um, the pathway to becoming a psychologist, you have to do a, um, a fourth-year research project. So I did my honours uh, here at Western Sydney and um, I think I, I, I quite enjoyed, I guess, doing the research aspect of it and I was like, this is actually quite interesting. Um, and... It was kind of a series of accidents, I guess, that I got involved in the PhD because um, 
I kind of got offered to work on a grant as a PhD and I guess at that point in time I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and you know I was like 23 or something and I thought yeah why not I'll just give it a go and see how it goes. So that grant was to to do work as a like a research assistant or to do a PhD? To do a PhD. Oh. Yeah so it was kind of like um I don't know, you know how this the government kind of gives out grants to researchers like and they put a yeah, like an APA or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's like funded by the government and it's part government. of an okay. existing grant. Yeah. So having these self doubts, um, because I was a terrible student in high school, I yeah. was, and even first year here, I, I sucked so bad. Yeah. And and I can resonate because through my undergrad, I felt like. I couldn't do a, a a master's or a PhD because I just wasn't I, my marks weren't there. I was just a shit student. <laughs> you know? yeah. How did you overcome that? Um, well, I I think I think a lot of it was kind of in, in my own head. Um, like I was my own biggest barrier in some ways um, because I think some of the reasons that I wasn't doing so well in high school is just personally I was struggling. So I wasn't turning up to class and doing stuff like that. Um, and I just wasn't engaged. But I think once I found something that was really interesting, um, which for me was psychology, and once I kind of got to university, I was like, ah, this isn't so hard. I actually kind of want to study. Like, I think for me, yeah, in my journey, it was kind of finding what I was interested in. Um, and just it kind of worked quite easily from there and um, kind of, I guess, persevering even if you have major self-doubts as well. I think because there's been a lot of times throughout my PhD, I guess, where I thought, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this or I'm going to be the first PhD student to be kicked out. <laughs> I'll be the first PhD student oh, no. to like be told that I'm like not good enough to finish. So... Um, yeah, I think it's kind of sitting with those self-doubts and going ahead with it anyway and just kind of seeing what happens because I find most of the time you kind of surprise yourself with what you can do mm -hmm. if you just persist. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, you know, because I, I I went through, so I did a, a year and a half of chiropractic science and absolutely mm. wasn't into it. Yeah. So I took a year off and came yeah. back and did terribly at uni again because I just wasn't into it. But once I found something I was passionate about, then it almost became like, if I don't do this, there's nothing else for me. So I'm yeah. forced to do this. Yeah. And there's no way I'm going to quit. Yeah. Because this is the only thing I enjoy now. Yeah. No, I totally relate to that. Like, uh, yeah, as soon as I started studying psychology, I, I, I knew I was like, this is the thing for me. Like, I was 100% engaged and into it. Um yeah, and it, and it became so important to me, I guess, that it all the kind of study and the, the hard work didn't really, it didn't feel like so much of a drag as when in high school. I was like, why do I want to know about maths? I hate maths. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. The work becomes um, enjoyable when, when you're pursuing like a passion. Yeah. You know, I, I was just giving a talk to these high school students um, and talking about my own experience and realizing what I really, truly loved was, you know, science and biochemistry. And I, I gave him this analogy, you know, you see, like you might have a friend who's, uh, who's totally whipped. 
like you know i'm sure you've come we've all yeah. have have had friends like this where yeah. they are willing to do like anything and everything they go above and beyond do so many things that you and i may not be you know willing to do because we're not in that relationship yeah. but being in that relationship for him it'll make sense for him it's not a hard thing to do in yeah. fact it feels good doing it yeah and so when i when i when I found something I was passionate about, working was fun for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that might sound a little crazy for the for everyone else. But <laughs> I know I sound like such a super nerd right now. I'm like, oh, I love exams and study. <laughs> Am I any Granger? <laughs> My favorite thing to do is just like read books and write stuff and not go out. And yeah, you have no life for me. That's your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Bunch of nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about your honors. Um, yeah. I'm curious to hear what you were researching in your honors. So um, you said it was in your fourth year, yep. part of your degree. Mm-hmm. What did you look at? Um, so, man, my brain's kind of stuck for a second because it was a couple of years ago now. But I looked at um, basically there's a phenom- phenomenon that occurs where even though people's achievement in uh, math and verbal domains are usually actually quite on par. There's not much difference usually when you look at people's achievement tests or their IQ tests in those areas. But despite the fact that they're usually quite on par, people often either highly identify themselves as a like a science kind of maths person or a verbal kind of artsy kind of person. So um, basically, I kind of tested a model that was based on that premise and then looked at whether parents' perceptions of their child's self-concepts also reflect that. So these kids were potentially coming up with those self-concepts because of, um, and I'm just, this is a hypothesis here, but you, you obviously you can answer this question, because of, uh, potentially their parents were in, kind of uh, enforcing that sort of concept on them. So if, is, is that, was that something you found where if the parents were mathematically in, like inclined this, this predisposed and all of a sudden their kids thought that they sucked at English and they were great at math. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that's definitely part of it. So, like, we found that parents' um, perceptions of their child's ability uh, were um, self-concepts were in line with what the children thought about themselves. So it's difficult, I guess, to to kind of test whether um, the parents influence the child or vice versa or it's both. but yeah, exactly. So I think parents definitely have a really important role in forming um, their children's self-beliefs and their self-perceptions. Mm. Um, yeah, I, so I definitely think that's important. And why is it? Why do you think that these these kids were identifying one or the other rather than both? Why didn't they say, "Hey, I'm just a great at both"? Yeah. So I think one potential mechanism is that. Um, although the achievement scores statistically are not uh, often not statistically significant between, uh, say, your performance in, in mathematics and science and verbal domains, um, even if there's a really small kind of difference, so say I get like, I don't know, 95% in my English exam, but I only got 90% in my mathematics exam, Um, basically what some of this research has shown is that people um, really are quite sensitive to that difference, even when it's minute in terms Mm. of their self-concept, so how they 
I don't know, their self-perception about their own ability. So yeah, even if it's a very minute difference, people's self-concepts will change accordingly um, to that small difference and become disproportionately larger. Um, So in that case, I would have a much higher um, verbal or English self-concept than I would for a mathematical science area. That's interesting. Because as scientists, we have all these statistical uh, tests to determine if something is significant or, or not. But obviously, as, as kids and as even as normal adults, we yeah. don't have those tests intrinsically in our brains. So as soon as we see a difference, then we are like, I, I suck in this and I'm great at that. So we make those sort of conclusions. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, so I definitely think that's kind of a, a potential mechanism one of many behind that kind of dichotomy that people tend to group themselves into that. Right. So how did, um, did you work on a similar project in your PhD? Yeah. So with my PhD, I, I guess stayed in, in the realm of educational psychology. Um, but I started to, I guess, turn my focus to looking at gender differences, um, in, uh, science, technology, and mathematics in terms of, um, female representation in university and, and careers. Um, and so I looked at, I guess... Why, why, sorry, just a question. Why did you change your focus into that specifically? Um, I guess around that time, I was really um, becoming quite interested in feminism um, and also a number of other kind of uh, social, I guess, perspectives or sociological perspectives on things. So... Um, yeah, during that kind of later stage of my undergraduate, there were a few kind of lecturers and few units that I did in sociology that kind of really, I guess, um, opened my mind further um, into understanding not only how the brain works, but also looking at the, the role of society and the way of social environments and how that impacts people's psychological lives. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And so you're looking at these gender differences um, in, in STEM. Um, what were some of your findings? Um, so one of my findings that was quite interesting was we uh, had a longitudinal study. So we were following um, young Australians from when they're about 15 years of age to when they're in their first year of university. And we were looking, I guess, at how um, their self-perceptions and their attitudes impact upon uh, their later choices because one of the main theories for why um, I guess there is that gender difference in career representation in STEM is because during uh, high school and adolescence um, girls have been found consistently to have lower self-beliefs in their abilities um, even when we control for their um, attitudes so even when we compare boys and girls of equal ability in mathematics and science, girls still have a far greater, um, I guess, worse off self-beliefs and confidence in their own abilities. What do you think is causing that? Um, I think there's probably, it's, it's such a complex question, but I think there's probably a few different things at play. Um, I th- one of my thoughts is, is that I think as a society... Uh, I think girls are not really encouraged to be as kind of self-promoting and um, confident, I guess, in their own abilities in general. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I think that is potentially one of the factors at play where, you know, I think um, boys in general kind of don't get the same, um, I'm trying to think of the word to describe it, the same kind of backlash if mm-hmm. they kind of, I don't know, you know, say like, oh, I'm really good at this or, you know, I think we're socialized in some aspects to be a little bit more self-deprecating, a little bit more self-doubting, a little bit more tentative with ourselves and uncertain. So I think that's definitely one of the mechanisms. And I also think, though, um, there's also an aspect that science and mathematics has been traditionally held up as a more masculine kind of career option or career Mm -hmm. domain. Um, and that, I guess, um, men's kind of gender differences in men and women have historically kind of centered around that, you know, men are more analytical, they're more logical, they're, uh, they have greater skills that kind of match those domains, whereas women are more um, maybe empathic or greater, better at communication or mm. interpersonally mm-hmm. or, or more suited to nurturing and caregiving roles. Right. So I, I kind of wonder whether that factors in too, but it's such a hard thing to test, mm. I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could totally see the, the, the difficulty in trying to tease out the different variables that um, play a role in that. And you've, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think... Um, you know, as as a man, I, like when I, because for my friends who know me, I'm, I'm a, a big loud mouth. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why yeah. I started this podcast. I just yeah. couldn't stop. I couldn't, I just couldn't shut up. <laughs> but, but that's expected. I mean, if I get up on stage and, and I'm confident and I'm bold and I'm, you know, I have leadership skills, people expect that of me. Yeah. But a female in my circumstance, there'd be a bunch of people roll their eyes before they listen to a chick talk. Totally. Yeah. And, and and just kind of that, I guess, oh, she's being a bit bossy or she's a bit yeah. of a loud mouth or... Yeah. Um, and this yeah. is same, it's some, something, uh, a podcast that I listen to is the Dre Rogan Experience and he's a comedian. Oh, okay. And he talks about, um, you know, female comics, um, how how hard it is for them to make to make it because yeah. when, when, a, when a man gets up on stage, it's, yeah, okay, it's a man. But when a woman does it, nobody wants to listen to what she has to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that a lot of female comics that Joe Rogan was saying is... Uh, is that they, they use sexuality as a means of getting their foot into the door where th- they only feel comfortable talking about sexual things. Mm-hmm. So Amy Schumer is one great example of, if you follow comedy yeah. where a lot of her jokes are like, I'm a slut or this is what I do. Like it's almost like playing a character, like an extreme version of herself because yeah. she may feel like this is the only way, this is the only way I, I'm going to be accepted in the, by by the audience by by the by the community so it, i totally see the challenges that exist between men and, and women because it's like almost cultural conditioning this is okay for men but not so much for women totally yeah um i, I guess one question i want to ask how much do you think and this is something that you know i i've i've often had this conversation with my friends how much do you think it's it's so, social conditioning so cultural conditioning um as well as what we just spoke about um how much do you think is also associated with just biological differences yeah that's a really good question and i'm really glad you asked me that actually because i think it is such a kind of complex question and difficult to answer and um i my answer to that is I don't know. 
um, because there is a fair amount of literature, I guess, in that field of looking at the um, biological causes, so looking at perhaps um, evolutionary perspectives, also looking at differences in the structure and the function of um, brain differences between uh, men and women, um, and then also looking at the role of testosterone um, as a potential mechanism behind some of the differences we've been talking about today. Um, and I think it becomes quite problematic because I know, uh, I guess, in my being with my PhD topic, what it is, a lot of people often come up to me and go, yeah, but you know that it's actually all just biological and it's innate. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer to it is, I think, quite more complex. So um, the literature is inconclusive and mixed from um, what I've read and the reviews and the meta-analyses on these sort of things. Um, So there's a lot of kind of mixed evidence, so it's really tricky to say whether there's actually any kind of underlying mechanism going on for every uh, paper that shows a relationship between, say, um, I don't know, testosterone exposure and um, science and maths ability. There's another paper that doesn't find the same. So I th- my answer to that is I'm not sure yet and I don't think any scientist who kind of, I don't know, was worth any salt could, should actually say they're certain about it because I think we're not far along enough to understand it fully yet. Mm. And, and my worry is, is that we, you know, when we kind of, I guess, overstate some of those biological explanations. Um, because I think we, we can see these things. We, they're physical. We understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more tempting as, as an explanation for those gender differences but compared to, I guess, more social causes that are a bit more wishy-washy. Mm. Um, but I think the danger in, in ascribing things fully biological causes is that uh, we end up in a bit of a situation similar to like the 19th century where scientists were looking at phrenology and skull shape and brain size um, and saying, well, the reason women aren't as intelligent and they don't go to um, you know, university is because uh, their brains are smaller than men and this is why they're less intelligent sure. without kind of looking at the context of the situation too um, and Clearly, in in those day and ages, um, I guess, you know, girls weren't having the same access to education. So, of course, they're not going to perform as highly on on IQ tests. So, I think as scientists, I think we need to be really mindful of the role um, that social environments play in brain development too and you know in psychology and and neuropsychology we've seen all these advancements in the plasticity of the brain Mm -hmm. um and how i guess our we know now that our exposure to different social environments has a biological impact on the brain's development and structure and function so even if we can find you know mri studies that show i guess um a gender difference between men and women. You can't still, associate it. Yeah, yeah. Is it the experience or the genes? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said. So it's it's kind of like, well, 
we can't even extrapolate from that whether it's an innate biological difference or whether these differences have occurred as a result of different socialization. Yeah. So I think it's such a complex and um, messy kind of research field. And, and my hope is that people kind of become more open to that uncertainty mm-hmm. and, and more open-minded to perspectives that may be outside of their realm of, of where they sit in, in terms of their scientific discipline. Mm. That, I totally agree with you. It's, it's an incredibly complex question to answer because there are so many different variables involved. And, you know, it's, it's that question of genes, uh, genes versus nurture or nature versus nurture. You yeah. know, how much of who you are is a, a factor of the genes that you're born with or mm. the environment that, you know, cause you to be who you are. So, um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, more recent research um, over the past 10 years or so, you know, the concept of epigenetics has, has come about where they yep. are showing that environmental factors can influence your genes mm. pretty quickly. Like there was one study where they had um, a group of mice and they had conditioned them to dislike a, a certain smell. So there was like a lemon smell. They would shock them, like they would shock their feet, whatever. Yep. And these mice would freak out. So every time they, they smelled that, um, lemon smell they would have a like a a, a, um, a stress response yeah and interestingly they the offspring of those mice were never exposed to the lemon um, perfume um, were never ever shocked but when they smelled it they also exhibited the same sort of stress responses yeah. as the parents which just shows how how quickly information can 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 get passed on totally information that wasn't even in the dna of 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 that specific mice somehow encoded its environmental information its own um genetics um and so there's this interplay of you know culture influencing our genes but our genes also influence our culture yeah and i don't know how anyone would go about to to decipher what's really what it's yeah. almost impossible. It's like you have to take it. Okay, yes, there may be some, definitely there's some genetic contributions which make us who we are. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that I, I got into science entirely just from my environment. I think intrinsically there, there was, maybe there's like a bunch of like mutations in specific parts of my genome that uh, predisposed me yeah. and made me more curious person, a more inquisitive person that made me, you know, fit for science. Mm. Um, whereas other people might have certain genes that make him more analytical think. You know, like, uh, the way I think about it, if you have athletes that look like Mike Tyson, you have people like me who look ordinary. You know what I mean? <laughs> I yeah. think that variation should and will exist in people's IQ and in their brains. Yep. And there's going always going to be a spectrum. Mm-hmm. But you can never determine how much of that was the genes and how yep. much of that was the environment. Um, but we have to always, as you said, you have to be open. And I think that probably the most logical and fairest position to take is to say, I don't know. <laughs> because the, the data is so confusing. Yes, yes. And I think people often want to have the answers and they want to, they want to know. And I think it's sometimes hard for people to say, I don't know, like it's, there's just not enough out there at the moment. And um, I I would really love to see more people kind of being open to that complexity Mm. and open um, to the fact that, yeah, there's so much that we just don't know yet and not kind of over-exaggerating 
previous research that's been done and, and discarding null mm. evidence that that doesn't support your hypothesis as well yeah. that's that's something i think as humans we uh, we we like simplicity mm. it has to be yeah. black or white we don't like the infinite spectrum of gray it's yeah. uncomfortable for yeah. us uh and so yeah i mean to say that you don't know you have to be comfortable with uncomfortable uncomfortable <laughs> yeah right. it's, it's yeah. so difficult so yeah um okay so in your research you you looked at these gender differences um and we spoke about um some of the reasons why there may be gender uh, differences but you said you looked at stem what speci- what what fields specifically did you look at mathematics engineering and the sciences the hard sciences yeah so um I had a couple of multiple studies that can kind of comprise my PhD. Um, so we looked at, in the first study, I did a meta-analysis. So I took in, I guess, all the studies that have been done on that area and then um, synthesized the effect sizes of the gender differences in um, the variables that we were looking at. And so I was looking at self-beliefs and um, attitudes towards maths, science as a general domain and then uh, physics and chemistry together as like physical sciences, biological sciences, engineering and computing. So um, I guess from that, one of the interesting uh, results was that there was a kind of continuum on which gender differences exist. So they became quite large in computing and physical sciences, um, whereas the gender difference was pretty much non-existent for biological sciences um, and actually had some variables favouring um, women in, in that area in terms of their um, interest and things like that. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, because we tend to kind of, I guess, when we talk about like the gender STEM gap, we often talk about um, we lump biology in, but it, I think um, it's kind of a little bit more... Uh, nuanced i guess yeah definitely i I was going to make a guess and say that i think chemistry and physics would predominantly be man dominated yeah even that scares me (laughs) like physically when i think about doing all the mathematics and maybe myself yeah but i I i'd suspect that yeah only the craziest of the crazy would be attracted to those sort of fields like, <laughs> well yeah i mean <laughs> i i bombed at that in high school so <laughs> i'm impressed by anyone who can, you can do that who can yeah. do physics or chemistry it's yeah. beyond my it's yeah chemistry I'm, I'm pretty good at but physics is just it's impossible for me yeah so, it's um, very complicated it's interesting what about the social science oh no obviously that wasn't your focus sorry <laughs> well i did have uh like verbal domain like so English or, or a language of um, whatever country that the students were from as a comparison point. And what was really interesting, I guess, was the flip side of the coin. So gender differences actually reverse in verbal domains. So boys are at disadvantage um, in terms of their self-beliefs and also their um, attitudes towards uh, the more verbal or English kind of subjects. Really? Um, and a lot of people don't really talk about that. Um, I think largely in, in, in part because I think the issue of attracting more people into the STEM fields is quite topical at the moment in terms of economics and um, we need more people entering those fields. But yeah, it, there's definitely a flip side of the coin too where there's, um, I guess, gender differences. In the social sciences and it 
Or did you say verbal? Yeah, what do you mean? so like by that I, I mean kind of just um, they were measuring things like English self-concept or if they were a French student, it would be French self-concept. So like English as a school subject. Hmm. Just a, a, a couple of questions come to mind. So ha, are there gender differences in like the humanities and the social sciences? Have there been studies that have looked at and found gender gaps in, 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 in Haas? In humanities, humanities and social sciences. Yeah, so definitely um, in, in the more arts sorts of subjects, there are gender differences favouring girls in, in things that are more uh, oriented, I, I guess, towards reading um, and writing kind of skills. Um, one thing that is quite interesting, I think, with that, though, is that the the gender differences, once we control for achievement, are a lot smaller than they are um, for girls um, when we look at STEM. So when we're comparing girls and boys of equal ability, um, in, in the studies I did anyway, the, the gender difference um, becomes quite small uh, for in, in the verbal domains. And not so much in, in the STEM. Correct. Yeah, so that's why I think there is kind of some component of, I guess, a, I don't even know how to word it, but like a, a component of girls not being, I guess, given permission to be as confident. Sure. Yeah, I could, Socially. I, I, yeah, like being culturally conditioned almost, even if it's not consciously, but subconsciously, uh, not to go into it. but okay that's interesting that even though they have the same ability they lack the confidence in stem yep. but that doesn't exist in the in the humanities and the social sciences where if you control for the ability there doesn't really appear to be a difference between them two it's still there but it, it in, in the studies i did anyway but it diminished to quite a small ah. difference compared to the differences we're seeing in um, say physical sciences or computing or mathematics um yeah so again it's kind of i guess really co complicated again but um i i did find that quite interesting um as i was looking at the literature and then also my own studies yeah no that is that is fascinating that's something else you were talking about before i'm like oh, i gotta write this down <laughs> but look what i've written down so, i'm so confused <laughs> i don't know where, i don't know where i'm going <laughs> shit <laughs> It's all good. <laughs> when did you finish your PhD? Um, so I'm at the point now where I um, am coming kind of towards the end of my PhD. So I'm aiming to submit it in August, okay. possibly September, oh, if, wow. depending on how feedback of the last final bits go. Right. Because it's kind of all written now and it's just doing the final edits and right. things like okay. that. So yeah. only a couple of months left. A couple yeah, it's very two, exciting. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And and this is a good segue to the next next um, question I was going to ask you. So after finishing your PhD, what are your aspirations? Yeah. So it's been a really tricky period for me, I guess, um, trying to work out, hey, where do I want to go from here? Do I want to do a postdoctorate? Mm. Um, do I want to get a teaching position or um, do I want to do something else? Um, and I, at the moment, I'm thinking that I will probably actually do my registration and then start working as a practicing psych, um, which I've kind of done it backwards, I guess, in terms of the PhD first. But um, yeah, I've done a, a lot of like volunteer stuff, I guess, throughout my PhD. 
um, which has kind of made me realize that I would really like to kind of be doing more applied, applying, I guess, the things that I've learned in research um, and working with people and kind of seeing that change occurring, you know, face to face. So you enjoyed the the actual therapy, like being in a in a room with someone and guiding them through a therapy you enjoy that aspect of psychology yeah so obviously i haven't had a huge amount of of like that kind of placement as i haven't started a registration yet but i've done kind of volunteer placements working in mental health and things like that and i think yeah i i i really realize that i really like it and it's really i think fulfilling and meaningful so mm. i'm kind of hoping to go go down that track I guess and um, I guess one of the things that held me back interestingly enough was that I felt that I wasn't um, going to be good enough to do that and I think I I had a really low kind of self-belief in myself that I would be able to do that um, and I don't know if that stemmed from some of my early experiences with depression and things like that. I kind of was like, well, you know, can someone like me be a psychologist? <laughs> and um, yeah, can someone who's who's had those struggles um, do that job? But uh, obviously now I've, you know, done a lot of thinking about it and, and my answer is, of course, yes. Um, I think I actually internalised a lot of those kind of negative beliefs about people with mental health difficulties mm. and yeah oh, okay do you have any fears looking into the future fears yeah. in, in general or in whatever um respect you you like so you can be as specific <laughs> or as general as you like um I, I i don't know actually it's a really interesting question i think um I think one of my biggest fears would be to like not do something that I really wanted to do and and to look back on my life regretting it and always wondering oh man what would have happened if I if I actually had a you know followed my heart and done that um yeah I think so I think could be that and just not having connection with other people I think I don't know about you but like the older I've kind of become um I've realized how important human connection is and um yeah but I don't know if that's really a fear but yeah I guess just looking back on your life and kind of regretting not doing something that was really important to you Mm. I think would be my biggest fear yeah I I can totally relate to that um and yeah so one of my biggest fears is that i'm going to look back in 30 40 years and think that i didn't aim high enough and i let myself down can you imagine going through your life and realizing like shit i didn't even explore what i was capable of doing with myself yeah Yeah. like that really scares me um but you mentioned uh what was the second thing you you mentioned something um i think i was saying something about connection and that's it yeah (laughs) being all hippie yeah no no i totally you know i've come to realize the importance of that yeah more and more when i was younger i mean Three three years ago, uh, I could I like I'd be at uni from morning till night. I could push myself 
and I hated talking to people because I wasn't productive. Yeah. Whereas now I am, especially through this podcast, as I'm talking to more and more people, I find this is so fun. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that I've been cutting this out has almost impeded my personal growth because conversations and like talking and socializing helps you grow. Um, yeah. Not just mentally by learning stuff, but just personally as well. And Totally. I'm, yeah definitely seeing the value of that so nerds out there there's still hope for you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned i just want to finish with this you know uh, considering your your challenges when you're in high school um and and the main challenges i'm sure you faced in your undergrad and phd do you have any role models like female role models female role models that you looked up to and gave you confidence that you could accomplish it because they did it before yeah. you yeah i think in my oh god i think for me i often looked um trying to think who was my kind of main model I, I actually some of the most important figures in my life in terms of role models were actually male now that i'm thinking about it um Yes, like I had a really fantastic lecturer who I actually think is involved in the master research program. Who is he? Alex Norman. Oh yeah, yeah. Alex is awesome. How cool is he? Oh, he's the best. <laughs> We're having an Alex oh. like love in. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, um, Alex. I sent him my thesis actually. Oh really? And yeah, he gave me, and he's not even in my field. I, I'm in biochemistry mm. and molecular, but he he was so nice. I've never had him for lect, uh, yeah. as a lecturer, unit coordinator, but he actually contacted me and said Hamid um, if, you, if you need any help let me know I'm like oh dude That's, you're the best yeah yeah and he did the same um, for me when I was in my undergraduate I did this random elective sociology of religion um, and it was the first time in my university studies that anyone had actually bothered to kind of give me like some substantial feedback on how I can improve and how I can get better mm. um and really kind of not just me but I think the whole lecture cohort and tutorial um, that we were in I think really had this sense of kind of belief in his students that they could do well and um, just this passion for what he studied and for research and science in general um, that I found really quite um, I don't know it really kind of struck a chord with me I guess and made me more intrinsically motivated myself um yeah so I think having good mentors in terms of education um is really important mm -hmm. and I, I think that made me go wow I really want to give research a try I'm really interested in this and um, I'm really interested in teaching at universities too and helping other students on their own journeys. So I think that was really important for me. And um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I was, this sounds really super lame, but I, I was really lucky in my kind of journey, I guess, through adulthood. I, um, when I sought help for my mental health difficulties that I was having, I went to Headspace and they, the, the psychologist that I saw there actually weirdly enough became a real inspiration for me, I guess, in terms of my own journey and um, I guess kind of believing in myself and also 
I guess, sparking some of that intrinsic motivation again that I, I felt in some ways I had lost throughout my PhD in psychology and kind of going, wow, actually, no, I really, I, I've seen now it can make a difference in people's lives and I really want to be able to have that impact. Mm. And Yeah, and then I just think it's important um, to, to eat, even outside of your own immediate life to kind of look to people who you admire and whose ideas, um, I guess, inspire you. And um, for instance, like Gloria Steinem, I don't know if you've heard of her before, but she's a really fantastic um, feminist uh, journalist and writer who, I don't know, she just blew my mind as soon as I started reading her work and hearing her talk and everything she said kind of made sense. And um, yeah, and, and there's even just, I guess, my in terms of female role models, my female friends around me and just seeing how supportive and caring and how principled they were, mm. you know, in terms of, um, yeah, their care for other people and stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. That's a really nice answer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've rambled on. <laughs> no, that was, that, that was really good. Um, yeah. It's good to hear that a psychologist inspired you to become a psychologist. Yes, yes, it definitely... Um, yeah, it is definitely a good To do experience. the good that you've experienced. That's beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Um, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, Brooke. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking for an hour. And oh, wow. It just it flies, doesn't it? it? <laughs> cool. I've had a, a lot of fun um, listening to your journey. Me too. And I've learned a bunch of stuff. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>
I think a similar thing is happening here in science where because, um, you know, you have this attitude that science is so complicated and that we shouldn't even bother explaining it or, or translating that to the public audience, it's very easy for the public audience to say, oh, this is a religion. They, they, they want us to interpret the data the way they want us to do it, yeah. you know, whereas every interpretation may be valid. Like it, it's valid, valid to say that the earth is flat or that climate change is fake. And I think a big part of that is people don't understand the science behind it. And I think as educators and as scientists, we have a moral obligation to ensure that the general public does understand the science yeah. so that they don't become skeptical of, of the findings that they, they do understand it. You know, one of the biggest things that happened in Munster was that you started having all these uh, movements where they started interpreting the, the Bible according to their own uh uh, you know whims and wishes mm. and so you had the Anabaptist movements and slowly in Munster the Anabaptist movement went to like a, a situation that was very similar to Waco in America for the guys who don't know what happened in Waco you may have heard the phrase you know don't drink the Kool-Aid well yeah. don't dr drink the Kool-Aid came from Waco because there was this one dude who essentially started a cult excluded everyone who didn't want to agree with him and this always happens, and we've sp spoken about this before, that it's these cults and religious leaders always end up like banging everyone's wives. Like that's a, like a prerequisite. <laughs> this thing happened. I'm telling you, it always comes back to sex. Then, it's always. It? Dude, that's the weirdest thing, because in Munster, they, that's what happened. That he slowly, what he did was he slowly changed the demographic of the city so that there were more Catholics initially, and then more Protestants, and then changed that demographic to more Anabaptists. He mm. was inviting Anabaptists into the into the city, and soon enough, you have only Anabaptists, and yeah. now he can make crazy laws like you. Can't can't have a door like you have you have to share your wife yeah, like he gets yeah. to he gets to like just um you know bang everyone's wives <laughs> and i think that that happens because there's you know there, there wasn't maybe another one that criticized the roman uh, catholic church because I, I haven't done my research but from from that podcast audiobook that i was listening to they did a bad job of Translating, translating that yeah. knowledge and they were trying to keep it separate i think another thing like you're you're absolutely right there's dangers very real dangers when research isn't translated properly but it's also just a fairness thing like a lot of time a lot of the time this research is actually publicly funded right so to say that oh it's not our job to like translate it it's like the public's paying for you to do this research you know right. it's not fair that you should withhold that research from them and that knowledge from them. It's like their knowledge in a sense, just because you were the one that found it out, you found it out with the public's money in a lot of cases. So yeah, uh, yeah it's also unfair to that respect as well. Yeah, then this goes back to what Meow was talking about in episodes seven and eight, you know, about public funding. We shouldn't just uh, not only publish in these uh, subscri subscription only journal articles like Cell and Nature and all that, good luck first of all publishing there but that that again makes it inaccessible for the public when when the funding has come from the public we should make it available for the public and mm. i would even argue that we have an obligation public appreciate and understand where their money is going and so that they feel like they they have an ownership of yeah. the advances and the progression that we're making as a society yeah i couldn't agree more um i thought her honors work was really interesting she was talking about uh, that during her honors she 
was studying, so she's an educational psychologist, right? So she studies uh, things to do with psychology in the education system. And I thought it was very interesting that um, she's looking at how people, how they self-describe their ability and how their ability actually is. So she said that often people who are good at maths are also good at language. You know, these two things are often kind of combined, but people's own interpretation of that is that, oh, I'm only good at maths or I'm only good at language, these mm. vocalization kind of skills. Mm. Um, and it's funny, it reminded me of the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I think we've talked about as more, which is a kind of similar effect where people, the less they know about a subject, mm. the better kind of informed they think they are on it, or the less, no, that's not quite right, um, but... Um, it's the Dunning-Kruger effect an example right there. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, but, <laughs> That's yeah. the, but Dunning-Kruger. Let uh, me let me give personified. Let me give through, another go. Let Alex. me see if I can uh, <laughs> do a really poor job of this. So, <clears throat> the the worse people are, the less knowledge people are they have in a specific area, the less able they are to predict their own ability in that area. That's right. So sure. your ability to predict how good you are at a certain area. Mm. depends on how good you are actually in that area mm. yeah so it's almost like the more you know the more reserved you are about your own ability mm -hmm. and the less you know the more likely you are to say i'm actually all right at that when you're not but do you think it was the dunning because when i spoke to it's her, not the same it's I'm, not. I, yeah it's, it's a similar type of concept sure. though where where people they kind of like feel that like they had their there's this contra this difference between how they feel their work is mm. and how they actually perform uh, objectively yeah so it's only a tenuous link admittedly but, but it, yeah. it made me think of that yeah definitely it's that's interesting mm. yeah you're 100 right you know as i think as humans our brains haven't evolved to do statistical analysis to fight to find out if your mark is within the p-value range yeah. of your <laughs> other marks you know so as i think what brooke was saying that you know you might get 95 for english and then 90 for maths and then mm. just assume okay i'm not oh i'm an english person and i'm, I'm not like, no maths good at maths but really you're actually better than maths and a lot of other people as well yeah, yeah. you could be an all-rounded person and this is something that i think is ver very important um when people try to specialize in one thing it's really great i mean you get to learn a lot about that specific topic or subject mm. but the downside of that is that you're not very well rounded in other aspects of your life mm. and i think as human beings and uh, talking to brooke it appeared to me it, it seemed to me that you know f f too many of us like to put ourselves into set categories that we're a maths person or we're an english person we're a science person we're a psychology yeah. person i think that's very limiting mm. um and as educators we see it's that a limiting way to think about it as well 100 well, yeah. because you and i both don't, aren't exclusively scientists. You play hockey on the weekends. You uh, play music. There's a bunch of other stuff that you do. Similarly, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm. I've taught myself to learn Chinese. You know, I can play a bit of a guitar. But the whole point of that, and I think both of us would agree, in that the approach that we're trying to use is to be as well-rounded as we can be. So that when we do see our marks, it's 95% maths and 90% English or, or 89% science. Yeah. I don't conclude that I'm better than I may be better at one for that specific test but I like to see myself as a more well-rounded person who can pursue anything I want as long as I put the effort in I'll it's, get good at it's it it's interesting as well because I saw this uh, attitude that Brooke was mentioning perpetuated a lot in uh the undergrad the first year of the um MRES that oh, I yeah. did yeah the, the, we come in like to give people who don't really know the masters of research is 
they're like cross-disciplinary degrees, right? So we have researchers from the humanities and the arts and social sciences mixed with like the hard scientists, chemists and biologists and um, in researchers in health and things like this. So everyone's kind of mixed together in this one cohort. And then we all have these assignments and they're, it's kind of the same assignments for everybody. You don't get specific assignments. It's a little bit different for electives and stuff like that, but it's a little bit beside the point. But when we first come into that degree, a lot of the attitudes from my STEM colleagues is, oh, oh, we do science, so we don't write very well, so therefore we're at a disadvantage from all of these people who get marked on their writing. And I thought it was so ridiculous. That's I'm stupid. like, man, you just came out of an undergrad degree where you like wrote 3,000 word assignments for every like unit. Right. Like, what do you mean you don't write well? Like, yeah. like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, yeah. that just because you're a scientist, it means you don't write well. Yeah. And these people fail to realize that they're in an advanced degree, a higher degree, right? So they're already they're already smart people, yeah? Mm. And because they're smart in maths, it also kind of means they're good writers as well. Yeah. And um, It's very and transferable, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. a transferable skill. And what happens is, of course, like the signers do go just as well as all of the humanities people mm. in the writing. Right? Can I just There's put a really caveat in that? You know, uh, I, I have to say it's not our STEM colleagues. So those, yeah, those guys definitely did complain about some of the you know writing activities the philosophy that was involved yeah, or thought it was unfair i think they thought it was unfair that they they they're marking they had to, everyone has to write assignments right mm. <clears throat> and we have to write the same assignments about our research and things yeah. like that now like oh it's unfair that i my writing gets compared to somebody from the humanities writing because they're a better writer well, that makes zero sense. You know? if, if you're bad, if you're, if you can't write well in science, yeah, it, exactly. in hard science, yeah, writing, you're just a shit writer. Have gone through their whole undergrad and haven't realised that writing's an integral part of being a scientist. Yeah. But that is, they, I, I think they do have a point in that in science there's so much content to be taught that it's, it's sometimes writing is um, not focused heavily. But I, I, I want to make a point in that. It's not just the STEM guys that have been complaining. It's it's the Haas guys as well. They think that some of the things that they're learning are too hard. Are too, not in the sense of difficulty, but the too hard science-y, like too, too much like biology, chemistry, and, and physics. Mm. Um, and, and they've complained. So what, what I see from that is that we have a bunch of people who aren't willing to go outside their comfort zones. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem. When you're not willing to do that, you'll never become well-rounded. If you're always doing the same thing because you feel comfortable and you're good at it, well, you're going to you're going to like be really disappointed when you have to yeah. compare and against someone. And we're seeing someone. that from a lot of the researchers we've been interviewing, we're seeing the importance of this collaboration and the importance of being a well-rounded person and understanding all those extra areas. For sure. It's really kind of coming through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it opens up opportunities for you in the future. I mean, if if you're if you only have one color in your in your in your if paint you only have, yeah paint that was gonna say <laughs> was gonna actually change if you only had one tool in your toolbox how many problems could you solve with that yeah. versus if you had like 10 tools yeah, which exactly. is true yeah um, I remember when I remember just before you recorded this interview with Brooke and we were talking about her research and, and how she researches gender disparity in the sciences and things like that <clears throat> and I remember saying that I, I thought that was really interesting because from my undergrad doing mostly like bio biology units, I remember there being quite a, uh, it's at least a 50-50 and probably even more women. That's my, that's my memory, my experience from coming through the biological sciences. And then you said to me, which is 100% true, hey, look, man, take a look around this office. It's like there's three women here and the rest <laughs> of men. And you're right. And, um, and, and 
we were in an office with mostly chemists and that's why and, yeah. and this actually came up in your in the discussion with brooke she was saying yeah okay we see this gender disparity there's more men in in the sciences but when we actually zoom in to a to a higher resolution we can kind of see that that disparity is is bigger in the chemistry in and the, the physical sciences, sciences but yeah. in the biology it's, it's actually a little bit less so yeah. you've got to kind of take what that caveat what the hell is that yeah i'm not sure I'm is not it sure. the culture but it could be yeah it could be a cultural thing that that she was getting at as well um and she was also saying that uh, so this disparity definitely gets re reversed as well when you look at the social sciences and in those social sciences there's way more women and particularly in psychology i think psychology undergrad degrees are like 80 percent women or even more or something mm. like that yeah um but it's interesting because you kind of have this discussion and something else i wanted to talk about this balance between social kind of constructs and biology right <clears throat> but it's interesting how she she said that when you take uh good students in the social sciences and compare them that disparity between men and women is less than when you take good students in the hard sciences and compare them mm. and i think that's to me that's evidential of a social impact right mm. because by taking the good students of both you're almost eliminating that genetic component you're saying this is because you're, you're saying these are both people who are good students they're both predisposed to go into this field of research yeah they both have the genetic skill set that makes them good at this field of research but there's still this disparity in the sciences while the disparity is less in the social sciences. So that makes me think that there probably is a bit of a social impact there. That would imply that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think she, uh, when, when you say good students, I think she was just looking at the ability of the students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah ability in that particular field. Yeah. But it's interesting how when you control for that ability, which is kind of where the genetics comes from, right? Mm -hmm. When you control that, that disparity is bigger in the sciences, the hard sciences, than it is in the social sciences. Yeah, but then you, some could argue that maybe they were more predisposed towards the soft sciences. You know, I, I actually... Yeah, but you bet, you, by comparing people who do well in them, you, you'd yeah. think one would imagine that you're actually testing that predisposition. Because somebody who's predisposed and has the genetic skill set to make them good at something sure. is going to do well at it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. I'm just trying to think it through. Um, so if they both have the same ability and yet you see a disparity between, yeah, so if you I see... I think she acknowledged the disparity was for both, but yep, it's a yep. lot less. Like like the disparity changes and we don't see this huge disparity when you control for skill level or ability in the social sciences, but it's still there in the hard sciences, which kind of suggests that, like she was saying, that women are getting turned off from the hard sciences. Like they have the ability... They have the genetic skill set, but there's these things in our society which make them either doubt themselves, which is what she was getting at, mm -hmm. or something that makes them decide not to actually pursue that right. as a career. Yeah, th that's what I want to get to, right? So, uh, again, she's, she's controlled the intelligence, but uh, that doesn't necessarily control for predisposition. And I think this is what she agreed with me as well in that it could be a would cultural... Pre wouldn't predisposition almost infer... No, no, what she, what you're, you're looking at is gen, um, 
intelligence. If you control the intelligence or ability, that's mm. one thing, right? Predisposition is just if you like something, if you find it interesting, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so that could be, so one of the reasons why you may not like something is because of the culture. You go into chemistry and there's just a bunch of douchebags who are like, oh, this is a man's world, you shouldn't be here. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that, no, uh, you, you, I had this conversation with my mom and I asked her why she became a teacher. She was an educator and both my parents are educators. And she goes, it came natural to me. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, as a woman, you're used to taking care of children, working with children. That's a caring role. Mm. So for me, when I went to teaching, I was caring for children. It's something that comes natural to females, which is 100% correct. Mm. You know? But whether that's a more of an influence versus uh, like as in just a natural inclination towards more caring jobs um, versus versus so that i can see how that culture. could work for teaching how does that work for something like in the stem fields so how could so the humanities so um that's a good question i i, I think um no it should be fine i think for for the humanities i don't know i think humanity is more social than than let's say chemistry yeah, yeah. And maybe it's more... C- uh, this is just a hypothesis and I have zero data to do. But this is just yeah, me yeah. thinking on the Easing spot. On, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just following my conversation with my mom, I think it, you have a, a more caring role in the humanities than you do as a as a physical scientist working with, the, w- working with like quarks and gluons and things of that nature now don't get me wrong it, it and this is what um both brooke and i agreed uh, um to and we both agree that this is still like you still can't really tease out what the true cause is it could be genetic or the culture and so this is a question that's really fascinating but yeah, in saying is, that an interesting question in saying that i think we should st- we should still address things we can control, like the culture. Mm. Can we make it more inviting for women to get oh, into yeah, 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 definitely, the STEM yeah, fields? Yeah. Like this is, I think, again, it falls. There's an obligation on us as society, as a society, because women bring a completely new, new, like completely different perspective yeah, to what you like bring. killing like fifty percent of the input. Yeah. If you do that as well. Diversity is so important. Yeah. I mean, even if you <clears throat> if you even keep it within a certain race, I would much rather a workplace where we have mul- a multicultural. Yeah. Uh, like employees where everyone's got different experiences different perspectives they've been brought up in different parts of the world and they bring a unique approach to solving an issue versus everyone being let's say everyone looking like me uh, wog in middle east and all everyone looking white or everyone being asian i think there's some good value in diversity yeah. it's interesting because uh, yeah that kind of brings us around to this like social conditioning versus biology thing and i i think that um like just because something comes from our evolutionary history doesn't mean we should work to change it as well, you know? Like, like the argument isn't this, but even if you made the argument that, oh, it's just because of our evolution that women prefer to stay away from the hard sciences and men go into them, even if that is the case, that doesn't mean we shouldn't work to try and change it. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it is the case. Mm. I think there's a good argument to be made that our biology and our evolutionary history influences our society and then our society influences our, our physiology even sure. as well. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like they, they all work off and feed off each other. It's a messy uh, network. Yeah, that's right. I think that's more like the reality. But even if it wasn't, even if it was just biology and just evolution, 
that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and address that imbalance. Mm. So I see that argument sometimes. Oh, you know, um, let's not care about the imbalance of women in certain fields and certain workforces because, you know, oh, it's just evolution and, like, it's not, like, you know, uh, societal and stuff like that. But I don't see... It's like a non-sequitur. It's a massive non-sequitur. Just because it's evolutionary doesn't mean we shouldn't try and address the imbalance. You know, there's positives of addressing an imbalance because you get more diversity in a field. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. And um, just saying, oh, it's our evolution and, like, women, like, aren't interested in STEM, so just let them, like, not be interested in STEM is kind of a really poor argument Mm. because we want women in STEM because there's lots of payoffs. So we need to work out ways of encouraging them, whether it's evolutionary, whether it's societal or not. Dude, I'm so sick of seeing dudes every day in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like Alex in particular. Not joking, Alex. Love you long time, bro. <laughs> That's funny. It was interesting um, about the stigmatization of mental issues yeah. as well. Because uh, you guys brought that up. And I think Brooke was talking about how she got into psychology because of depression and dealing with that. But... Um, you guys were discussing about why we stigmatize mental issues and Mm. i think you you or her i think brought up uh that it's because you can't you can't see them it's like when someone breaks an arm like they're kind of invisible to us you know what i mean you can see maybe the effects of them but it's not like somebody rocking up with a cast but i was thinking also it might be hard to for people to relate to because you know, people can relate to the pain of maybe breaking an arm or they can see you with a cast on and understand how that's going to impact your life. Mm. But it's hard to relate. Like physical pain is easy to understand. Yeah. Right? Because everybody goes, undergoes, everybody everyone has it. it, but not everybody experiences problems mentally. Yeah. Um, so that could be another reason as well. That it's hard for people to empathize. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, to be honest, I, I've, I've fallen for this as well. When I was younger, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't know any better. It's easy to like, um, and it's that what Daniel was talking about as well, the fundamental attribution error, like, right. you know, like you don't, you, you blame other people and you don't offer other people the same kind of outs that you offer yourself. Exactly. It's kind of this lack of empathy that you have with their position. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I became more aware, uh, more aware of this as I listened to more and more science podcasts. Actually, there's a good one called "Talking Nerdy" with Kara Santamiri. I'd, I'd recommend that, um, and she's got. Um, like I think she's got some sort of depression issues and she has to take a certain uh, SSRI I think to to balance the chemistry of her brain in order to do but I remember the first time I I heard it dude and and this is a a shame that I felt like this but I was like kind of like oh like all of a sudden an automatic like thought came into my head like oh this person is somehow less Mm. do you know what I mean they almost they become like the other like this goes back to what Brittany was talking about inside outsider groups the insiders are all the same people and the outsiders are all the crazy people yeah that became and I realized I mean I'm strangely introspective so whenever thoughts like that come to my head I'd like to break it down like wait, 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 wait that makes zero sense mm. you know um, just because someone has got it, there's all this stigmas attached to it you and know maybe I mean? it's because we like because a lot of people don't understand how the brain works maybe it's because people think that if one area of your brain 
it makes you have depression or something like that mm. then all these other areas get affected too yeah. like your ability to reason and think and yeah. uh, which isn't necessarily I, the case and right. and maybe it's a little bit to do with that as well people just lump it all together oh yeah, they have a uh, a, a brain a, issue a brain issue yeah. oh, so therefore they're an idiot or something right. like that no, for me i think when 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 i heard um and i think it was Kara santamira talking about it i automatically assumed like this is so wrong, but I assume that she was broken, mm. which is, I bet a lot of people probably think like yeah, that when they yeah. hear, and it's so wrong because yeah, you can't think like that, man. Yeah. It dehumanizes. It's people. like everything. It's probably a combination of a lot of those factors, yeah. which explains this kind of, uh, sure. and I've met people, man, I've met people with depression. I've met people with uh, mental health issues like bipolar or whatever. And 99% of the time, like a hundred percent of the interactions I've had with yeah. them are, are, are like, I wouldn't even be able to tell yeah. unless they told me they had an issue, yeah, right? Exactly. But that one percent of the time is what they have to deal with. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And you don't even realize like how much of stress and and pressure that is on a person because they have to deal with the, not only with the issue but with the stigma that's attached mm. to that issue. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I think uh, it was yeah, it was cool how she said Alex was a great teach a great teacher Alex Norman. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of we have a lot of episodes on the shelf, and um, we thought Brooke would be a great one to put up today, and then we realised right at the end she was talking about Alex Norman. We only just had him on, mm-hmm. so it was great. Uh, he's a great teacher, so props yeah. to Alex. It's good to see um, how how a, a teacher can really inspire, like what type of impact they can have. On, on students and on others and they you know it, it just shows that if you want to become a teacher you have a this is so cheesy with great power comes great responsibility but I think that's mm. so true with teaching because you don't I mean you have examples of teachers in your past that have comp- uh, for me personally they've changed the trajectory of, of my life you know I could have gone left instead of right I could have been a businessman yeah. but yet I'm a scientist here because of the great teachers that I had in yeah, the past that's cool nice is, is that it okay we should wrap it up we should wrap it up guys guys first things first go to facebook uh, and give us a rating five stars you can do before. it right now hey, you can do, do it right now. now it'll take you two seconds you go to facebook you look up blab coats and you rate us five out of five that's yeah. all you gotta do and write some words hey you know I, hey alex i love you alex is really sexy <laughs> just write that on facebook tell us the cool. tr- tell us the truth <laughs> <laughs> and then um of course you can rate our pod, uh, podcast on itunes apps and stitcher as well yeah, yeah definitely do that um and share our stuff man we, we our numbers are growing definitely yeah. um but it'd be good to see it grow even faster so it's it's we appreciate everyone listening it's it's really cool that more and more people are listening um uh, every month so Cool. See you next week. See you. Oh, and also, sorry for telling you, we had James Avanatakis on this week. I kind of lied. Yeah. <laughs> kind of lied. Yeah, we're still organizing that one. Yeah. So, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Blab Coats. Rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast because it does help us spread the word. And if you like what we're doing here, then help us grow it by sharing this with a friend, a friend of a friend, or your mailman, even your mailman's mailman. We also want to hear from you, so send us questions or comments to blabquotes at gmail.com. And if you have any interesting questions or comments, then we'll talk about it on air.